musical linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And a big thank you goes out to all of our donors for this month. And I'll be getting a thank you email out to you soon, but I just wanted to say thanks here and uh, to say that we have once again uh, covered all of our expenses for the month. So uh, thank you all very much. Now, uh, continuing on with the 2012 Palenque Norte lectures that were held at Burning Man uh, this past year, well, today we're going to hear the talk that was given by Allison and Alex Gray. And I'd like to point out that Allison and Alex have been with us at Planque Norte ever since our first year. In fact, you'll hear Allison in a few moments say that in 2004 they gave a Planque Norte talk about psychedelic family values. Uh, well, that's close, Allison, but uh, <laughs> actually the year was 2003, and the title of the talk was Art, Love, Family, and Psychedelics. And uh, it also featured their daughter, Zena. And, of course, you can listen to a recording of that talk uh, that I played in my podcasts number 7 and 8. And uh, this one today, by the way, is number 342. Now, as you can tell from the title of the Gray's talk that I'm going to play for you right now, well, uh, at first it can maybe seem a little provocative. Uh, you know, what kind of a business can you operate that would be considered psychedelic, you may ask. Well, uh, if you just pause for a moment and think once again about the word psychedelic, you will remember that it means mind or soul manifesting. And if you keep in mind that as you listen to the life stories of Allison and Alex, well, I think that then you'll better understand what it means to live a psychedelic life, a life where the very best facets of your soul are blossoming in their fullest. Also, I hope that you pay close attention to the stories that they tell uh, about their own life paths. Granted, uh, we all know about their lives today as successful artists, but have you ever thought about the twists and turns and bumps in the road that they had to make it through in order to get where they are right now? And uh, don't think that even today they are without their challenges. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, been a couple of years now since I last saw Alex and Allison, but that was at the MAPS conference in San Jose, and they were two featured speakers there. But to be honest, uh, I really didn't expect them to show up because only a few weeks before they had had a very serious automobile accident and both of them had broken their backs, if I'm not mistaken. But here they were at a conference, uh, both of them wearing very large back braces, but even larger smiles. And uh, as you'll hear Allison say in a few moments, if your determination is great enough, well then nothing can stop you. And these two wonderful artists are living proof of that. Now I should also mention that in a few moments when you hear Chris Pezza introduce Allison and Alex Gray, he mentions that they are the last speakers in what was a 21-speaker Palenque Norte lecture series. And uh, yes, I'm aware of the fact that I haven't podcast all of them yet. Uh, in fact, there are still a few more talks for which we're uh, trying to get permission from the speakers. And uh, I think that so far there are at least two or three more who have agreed to let me podcast their talks. Uh, the ones that we won't be hearing uh, usually 
usually uh, they're the ones that use some kind of a visual aid that, uh, without which their talks are kind of hard to follow. And there were a couple that covered some rather personal details that the speakers only wanted to share with those who attended in person. So that's why we haven't heard all of them yet. However, we do get to listen to Allison and Alex Gray's closing talk of the series right now. Hopefully, you will enjoy it as much as I did the first time I heard it. But before I uh, begin playing it, I first want to once again thank Chris Pezza and Tom Riddell, who, along with a cast of dozens, organized and orchestrated these talks this year. It was truly a major undertaking, and they pulled it off exceptionally well. Also, uh, they're right now working on plans for next year's lecture series at the Burn and some other events, uh, which I'll let you know about as uh, their plans develop a little more fully. But right now, let's listen to Allison and Alex Gray's 2012 Palenque Norte lecture at the Burning Man Festival. Welcome to the Crystal Cavern. Thank you guys all for coming. Um, so I see we have a full house. Um, I just ask that you all be mindful as people come in to make space by moving this way. So we've been giving talks since Tuesday, and there's been 21 speakers here. And this is our last talk of the week, and uh, we're really excited for this. Um, before we get started, I want to make a few thank yous. Um, first off, to Lorenzo Haggerty in the Psychedelic Salon. Um, Lorenzo is the reason this is happening. He created this, and, um, and we're honored to continue the legacy. Um, I'd also like to thank Bruce Damer uh, for all the guidance and support in putting this together. Also, Annie Oak and John Gilmore for their amazing support wrangling speakers and helping me get started with this. <laughs> and also the Above the Limit Build crew who built this gigantic dome and put these crazy crystals up. And Tom Riddell has stuck with us all 21 hours and been our amazing AV tech. So give it up for Tom. And of course, all of our speakers um, for being here, uh, donating their time, and speaking to you all, and sharing uh, their wisdom. Thank you to the speakers. Um, also, we had to raise $3,000 to um, get this stuff together in less than two weeks, and we were able to do it through an Indiegogo campaign. I'd like to thank all the people who supported that as well. And lastly, I'd like to thank Daniel Jabor, who unfortunately couldn't be here, and his support from the Psychedelic Society of San Francisco, helping us raise funds. Awesome. And thank all of you. Welcome. Okay, so we have Alex and Allison Gray here with us today. They are visionary artists. I first came into knowledge of their work when I was listening to Tool when I was about 14 years old. And I was like, what are all these eyeballs and weird patterns? And then, of course, I found LSD and kind of started making sense. Um, so when I traveled to New York City back then, um, I used to visit the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors when it was in Manhattan. And it was this wonderful gallery. And I was amazed by the, the scale and the size of the paintings. And I spent time in there when I'd visit. And uh, it was really amazing. And we're 
blessed to have their work with us here on the playa, actually, as well, over at Area 51, which is part of Fractal Nation Village. There's a whole dome, so please go check it out. Um, and since then, Alex and Allison have created um, the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors on a grand scale on this very large property along the Hudson River in New York. So next time you make it out to New York, please journey up there and visit them. And uh, with that, here's Alex and Allison. Should I start? Okay. You can hold your mic, though, because you never know. You might want to chime in. Um, yeah. Well, we made up this title, Psychedelic Family uh, Business, because in 2004, we did a talk for Planque Norte called Psychedelic Family Values, which was about what do you tell the children when you have children and you're, you know, been opened up by psychedelics and, you know, do you lie? Do you, you know, be a hypocrite? How do you teach them, you know, and not... You know, and, and all that. So that's still online, uh, and you can find out about that. So when we asked to do something about business, we decided to call it psychedelic family business. And that is not because our business is selling psychedelics. No, not in the least. And I want to make that very clear. Uh, we called it that because uh, we were opened through psychedelics and in our spiritual life, really. I mean, if you really want to go there. And um, it's affected every aspect of our life, you know. So how has it affected our business life? How do we make decisions and and um, and uh, proceed as people with a business um, when you have had that kind of opening? And and so how has it affected us in that way? So um, I was gonna start off by just briefly, really quickly. What the, the structure of what I would just really love to do is I would just love to us to say a few of the bullet points, the things that we think about that have influenced us or that we've found important. Uh, started off with a, just a touch of history of like what business are we in anyway and how did we get there. And uh, then I want to leave plenty of time for questions. So if you're in a business or you would like to be one or if you were in a business with your, your partner, you know, your partner is a very dear friend or a, or a, uh, or a love partner because Alex and I are both. Um, and you were thinking about being in business together or are in business together. How do you manage that? How do you, how do you handle that? So uh, if you have any questions like that, start you know, formulating them, and we'll have that uh, plenty of time at the end to do that. So you want to talk about... Alex, I'll ask, we'll ask each other questions. That might be a good way to do it. We'll interview each other. How did you begin in the working world? Hmm. I think I was uh, working for my parents was my first uh, jobs that I would make a few quarters for, you know. Uh, or maybe before that, I would make little comic books and try and sell them to the neighbors, you know, as, as like really a tiny child. So uh, I knew that you had to do work in order to make money. That was the way it looked like, uh, you know, from my blue-collar uh, family uh, experience. And so, um, you know, I then my first kind of paying job was painting fun houses. And then uh, I think I was, God, I, I don't know, 17 or so. And I think you're still painting fun houses. <laughs> the new picture of Entheon, you ought to see it. We'll probably show it later at Fractal Nation, <laughs> 7 to 9. I'm always advertising. What's the matter with me? It's a business. It's always in my mind. 
Anyway, oh. keep going. Sorry. All right. And uh, then the um, I guess I got a job at uh, um, painting billboards for a while. Um, I had a short stint um, working cutting mats at the coop. Harvard Coop. Uh, let's see. I hit the heights. Uh, Harvard, I worked at Harvard uh, for a little while, the medical school, for five years. Now, you got that job. How did you get a job at Harvard? After, after walking away from a full uh, scholarship in art school after two years and going for being a billboard painter, how did you get a job at Harvard? How did you walk into Harvard and get a job? I had a friend. Harvard school, medical school. Anatomy department. How do you do that? Okay, I was obsessed with anatomy and bothered the person who was there in the uh, anatomy department uh, and uh, was just hanging out there a lot until he uh, invited me to uh, work with him. Well, you wanted to see a brain. Yeah. You wanted to hold a brain in your hand and guts in the other hand. It was a performance that Alex wanted to do. It's called Brains and Guts, you know. So it was like a photograph, it was like a document of brains and guts. So you had to go f- find somebody. In order to do that piece, you had to find somebody who could access those things and allow you to access them. And here you were with your hair half shaved, one side like all the way down, one side bald. He was very, very... You know, somebody you wouldn't trust walking in your door. But you got this guy to trust you enough to hire you to do that work, which you had he, never done before. I'm just telling you, weird. if you think it's impossible to do what you want to do in your life, it is not at all impossible. Nothing is impossible. You can do exactly what you want in your life. So anyway, and, go ahead. Well, I actually was uh, also, uh, at that time, I got that job... Uh, after my first psychedelic experience, uh, actually the the working there at the medical museum and uh, the morgue and stuff, and uh, so that was very informative. And I think that really the, the questions that we come up with. Oh, you want more history? Okay. Oh, no, I'm well, going to do my history after okay. you're done. So I was going to get up to. Harvard, you went to Harvard, okay, then went you were, Harvard, then, then you were, a, did medical a, illustration for a while. Well, wait for, a minute, before that you were, a, you, you'd worked in a science lab. Yeah. Studying psychics. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, do you want an interesting work? You know, look for research work. at the Mind Body Institute at uh, Harvard. With Joan so, Borsenko and, and, and Herb Benson, who wrote the relaxation response. So you, you worked with them, uh, seeing whether psychics could actually heal. Yeah. And, Hands on uh, healing. Yeah. It was is, really, was it, is it true? Does uh, it work? I was a part-time scientist. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so then from there, uh, you got a, you got a, your first, well, someone called up Harvard and thought that you were the Harvard medical illustrator, which you were not. You were just They had seen the sacred the mirrors. Time. I was painting the sacred mirrors. Some doctors had seen them. And uh, somebody asked them, hey, who is your medical illustrator over there at Harvard? And I said, oh, there's this guy, Alex Gray, and why don't you call him? And so I was working there for, like, really cheap. And they called me up and they said, well, uh, we need medical illustrations for blah, 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 blah. And I thought, and I they offered you I four can, yeah, times what you were making at Harvard. Yeah. Four for times sure, at, by the hour. And you could work at home. That was such a deal. Yeah. So you did that for anyway, a year. You it really for those pissed people. off the medical illustrator there at Harvard, though. There was a staff. Oh, line, yeah, she was. And pissed. she was, ooh, yeah. Because you got the good job. I know. Last anyway. year. Yeah. 
it got you really started and you got a portfolio, you know, piece or two together and you had the sacred mirrors, which were also there. So, but anyway, that is just to say that you need to, you, you, I don't even think Alex knew where he was going. He was just taking opportunities as they approached him. I, I don't know that we always well, have a goal, but sometimes we my do. Artwork, my artwork was uh, looking at the human body. And so if it was medical illustration, I thought, well, I'll learn more about the human body. Great. You know, and so I could do that if I wasn't selling my paintings and my paintings, nobody wanted them. We exhibited the sacred mirrors uh, in a gallery in 19, what, uh, we jump 80, ahead. 84 or something like yeah. that. And uh, offered them for $2,000 a piece and nobody wanted any. So uh, except the one that I owned. Yeah, this, uh, except the one that Alex I gave Alex gave me one and that's yeah. the only one that anybody asked they bid they 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 put some yeah. uh, into it. Well, but so no, they couldn't have it this morning. So there's your first Thank like God. uh kind of uh psychedelic uh family business. She inspired the sacred mirrors. Uh the sacred mirrors were based on a psychedelic experience and uh so uh I created an exhibit so I tried to sell them, and that, that didn't work there. Okay. So uh, then we got a, a vision that we should build a chapel. And, uh, well, uh, that's, that's going to be expensive. How do you do that? God, I don't know about that. You know, but it, okay, but we got to do it. Okay, you've got to do it. So now that came in a psychedelic vision. Both the inspiration for the sacred mirrors, basically, the, the visions that were uh, significant in there, like the universal mind lattice, and then the, uh, the vision of the chapel was in a psychedelic state. As well, well, I'd like to say that I, I think that you know, a lot of people know the story, you know, our story because we talk a lot to people. But, but Alex uh, tripped for the first time in my, my apartment, and we were not dating. He was just a person who was at my party, and uh, but you recognized that story. Even that story puts me in the position of muse. You know, it puts me in the position of I had an inspiring opening. In your apartment. So there's a story that you continue to tell and always have told that is, uh, allows me in to your life. And that is one of, the, one of the openings. But I wanted to say about business that, um, you know, you always took opportunities when you saw them and you recognized what you want. You know, you, you, it's a windy path. It's a windy path to wherever it is that you're going. You're going to, you know, there may be twists and turns unless you, you know, you, some people's careers are not like that. You know that you're going to be a resident and then you're going to be an intern and then you're going to be, you know, in your a specialty. So you have to go through yeah. and jump through those hoops. But, uh, but, to, but in our world, there were many windy, twisty turns Let, uh, and you took opportunities as they came along. Okay. Yeah, I wanna, well, that's, that's one thing I, w I wanted to say right there is that uh, just because the uh, business idea may be born in a psychedelic state, I, I don't think automatically confers greatness on it. That's but, right. They're very good. Uh, I so know, agree. Uh, a lot of crazy and stupid ideas actually uh, fly by, too. So uh, you, you must be discerning. And uh, the, <laughs> Choose well and stop yeah. choosing. And That's one of our big mottos, right? <laughs> it's true with, with, with your projects, too. I mean, you know, it's true with your relationship particularly. And that's when we use that, choose and stop choosing. But, so, uh, but with well, projects, here, it's like that, too. So here's what I, I wanted to say about that, was that the, 
that uh, a lot of businesses talk about the bottom line, you know, and that you got to really be concerned about the bottom line. But in this case, I think that it's the reverse of that. It's like basically, if it's a psychedelic family business, then you've got to consider the top line. What's the top line? The top line is you have one unique life. And what do you want to what do you love to do? What do you want to spend your life doing? What's the uh what is the highest impact uh that you could have on the world in a positive way? What is the most visionary possibility for your uh magnificent uh uh presence to impact and potentially evolve the world. I mean, we know that uh, in the wake of our psychedelic experiences, we're awakened to a, uh, a oneness with the uh, environment and with a, a, a sense of the need to protect it and uh, 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 at least the dream of eco-sustainability and how could we possibly manage that at this point in our trip. You know, and yet it's it's up to us to take responsibility for it. All of these things kind of naturally evolve uh, in the wake of the psychedelic experience for many people. You know, it's the higher consciousness yields a kind of higher conscience. So that's the top line. That's look at how what's the best way and the highest service that you could provide for the greatest number. Uh, and that, I think, is the beginning of your uh, of your business, because you just have to find how what it is that you love could serve, uh, f- you know, uh, yourself as well as everyone. I wanted to to to, to insert in in that that um, you want to um, what was I going to say? The highest impact. You have to also look at what makes money for you. First of all, most creative people end up riding more than one horse. They ride two horses at least for a while. I was a waitress, you know what I mean? I mean, we all have to do work to make money to live. But if you have another business, if you know that this is your business and this is really who you are and what you are doing, then everything you make over here, all these tips get portioned out and invested into over here. So many people remain riding two horses for their whole life and really enjoy it. I mean, you know, people do that. Uh, spend a lot of money on their on their serious hobbies, art or, or music or whatever it is, and they may never become, you know, I don't know, a, a famous musician, but they will always want to play and do... So anyway, creative people end up having two horses to ride. And um, I think one, what, what I was going to say, the other thing that came up about the highest impact is highest, this is a really businessy term, but they say highest impact, highest revenue producing activity. But you have to look at if your if you're activity that you want to make money with is not making revenue, it's not supporting you, it's, it's not, you know, what you really love to do is make paintings and sell them, but it's just, you know, you can't make a living doing that right now, so you have to do this other thing. But do your paintings have impact? That's something else you can find out. You can ask people. You can see what they say. If your paintings aren't having any impact and aren't revenue producing, then you just have to look at that and change that. That's all. You just have to go to the impact area, I think, first, because you're not going to, you know, I mean, you want to get the kind of feedback that you want to get. 
Some people uh, make paintings about uh, you know the seashore, and then they live on the seashore. So it may not have huge impact, but it's well done, and it's very revenue-producing. So you have to look at these things. And what you were saying is look at what you really love doing and, and, and what you're uh, good at doing, what you feel you're good at doing, that, that you, you get at least some consensus around you that you're good at doing it, or, or take lessons and get better at it. I mean, I was going to go a little bit into my history because... I, like many people, thought I was going in one direction and then decided that that was not the right direction for me. So I went and got a master's degree so that I could become a college professor. I thought, the academic world is great. I love it. You know, I'm really, this is good. You know, I'm pretty good at it. I'd always been pretty good at it. You know, why don't I just stay in academia and teach art while I'm being a painter? It was all about being a a painter. I mean, really, it was never about being a a college professor. But I I like the civilized, intelligent environment and all the services that you get, you know, and all the, the culture you get. I loved it. But once I got in it, you know, and I was very young, and I, after I got my master's degree, so I didn't get, like, the biggest, best jobs teaching NYU, like this guy who never even got a college degree, okay? But I had no reputation. Alex got a reputation, and he got, he got asked. He taught at, taught at RISD, taught at, you know, the best art schools in the country. But anyway, so you work on your impact. And... Um, but I, I didn't. I got some adult education classes and small museum, you know, art classes and things like this. And I'm constantly working on writing my course descriptions and showing up and making next to nothing. And I was just fed up with it after a while. I, you know, I, it wasn't that I wasn't doing it. I just wasn't liking it. So I actually, and this is my advice to you, I know it sounds so crazy, but I I took this book, and I'm sure there are other books like it, but it's still in its like 20th edition, and it's still being reprinted today, and it is called What Color Is My Parachute? And I did it. I did it as a workshop in my apartment. You know, I like sat down with a special notebook and a special pen, and I filled in that entire workshop and did it on my own. It cost me about, what, $15.95, something like that. And I did the workshop, and it really took me through the steps that it takes and whatever it is for you I'm just saying you need to go get help if that's where you're feeling if you're feeling like your life is not you know you're in the job that you hate and you're not loving you need to go and do something to make that and you make that change so it really helped me to see where I could go and I decided I wanted to go into the administrative side which really was only a surprise to me because my father was a businessman and my grandfather was a businessman but I always thought of myself as an artist and I wasn't a businesswoman. And then I found out how creative business is. So I think we've felt that way because we create it exactly the way we want it. I mean, we create, you know, we look at the things that we want, that we like to do, and the things that other people are willing to have us do and that we can benefit from, you know. One of the things I think we found out most of, well, we should talk a little bit about Cosm and how, how we grew Cosm, but I think one of the things that's made Cosm work best is us not taking any money at all. I mean, we just don't take any money and uh, give it all to Cosm. So, you know, now people feel better. They feel better about it. You know, they didn't feel as good about it. Not that well, we have to do that. I mean, yeah, and, and that's that. not saying we'll that see. the results of a psychedelic uh, family business would result in your giving all your money away. Uh that's kind of what's well, happening to us. We give but, it to what we love, the, and that's what everyone are, wants to do. Exactly. You're, you're investing in something that you think will be of the greatest service, the top line. And so it's a risk. 
uh, and uh, that's one of the other things that we that we have to ad- admit and and uh, face uh, in any kind of business situation. All of business is a risk. You know, when you're uh, doing deals with people and they may go crazy or uh, the, uh, all, uh, you know, all kinds of things can go wrong. But uh, in order to have both a community and have uh, powerful effects in the world, we have to work with each other. So we have to uh, uh, acknowledge that uh doing anything together is a risk, but be willing to go for it. There is no real uh, stability necessarily in corporate America either. You know, many people have found my brother, for instance, you know, who was uh, vice president at at a, a couple two different, different two different corporations, worked his way up and got, you know, his pension and everything like that. And then, oop, everything got rug pulled out from under you. Sorry, no benefits. See you later, Charlie. So... Things can flip, as we understand, uh, on an instant, on a dime. Things that you were, you know, like Barnett Newman. I always love this story. He was a great painter. And uh, he, uh, uh, I want to be a painter, Mom, Dad. That's all I want to do, you know. And he said, Barney, Barney, have some sense. Go work work in the family business. It's only Blocking hats. Yeah. About eight years Later, you know, it was the uh, it was the uh, crash, you know, the uh, the Great Depression of twenty nine, and all of his savings were wiped out that he thought was going to, uh, you know, now he was going to coast and paint for the rest of his life. Well, guess what, you know. So a lot of people have experienced that, and they don't necessarily trust that there's going to be some golden parachute that somebody's provided for you anymore. So you have to be creative. Think for yourself, uh, plan your, uh, and, and acknowledge that business is a risk, whether you're opting into a uh, corporate lifestyle that perhaps appears to have benefits and things like that, but there's also, uh, there's what that costs you as well. So, uh, so you know, Apple is a psychedelic family business. You know, Steve Jobs used to interview people and say, uh, yes, did you ever take LSD, you know? And instead of saying, no, 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 never, uh, you know, they'd, you know, he wanted them to say yes, and he wanted to know how many times, things like that. So if anything, like Burning Man or like gatherings like this, we are psychedelic family, you know? It, mostly it's the people who've been there, uh, seen something, uh, resonated deeply uh, with a... Uh, what a, appears to be a soul or spiritual kind of reality that's of greater meaning and value than the material uh, surfaces of things. And because we uh, see the value in each other and we have a renewed sacred sense of the world, uh, that's the business that we want to promote. That's the message in whatever business we want to do. So whatever business you do do can be a... Uh, a uh, demonstration, a ritual, basically, demonstration of your values that have hopefully been evolved through your uh, contact with higher consciousness. You know, the other thing is to, uh, you know, (laughs) 
it's it's your your business to evolve your spiritual life, you know, and how that can uh, then meet up with what you do for a living is uh, is this ongoing kind of question. You how know, can- the, you know, the, one of the eightfold noble path, right livelihood. What they the way they defined it that I read uh, in the teachings of Buddha just recently was um, doing something you're not ashamed of. That's very simple. Doing something that makes you not ashamed. You don't want to be doing a business where you feel ashamed. So any business that you feel is good for, for people and serves others, you can be working in CVS and it's right livelihood. You could actually brighten up the life of everyone who walks into CVS and all of your coworkers around you. You could transform CVS or Best Buy or wherever it is. If, you know, whatever it is you're working at, you can transform it in, in a positive and spiritual way. So that can be your business and you could become very good at that. Very good at whatever it is that you're doing and wherever you are, you are doing it. Um, if that's what you want to do. I mean, you, yeah. Well, the other uh, is, uh, you know, just business-wise, you would hope that people who had had an experience of higher consciousness and higher conscience uh, would not want to screw people. They would, they would want to maintain uh, a standards of integrity and that they would they would want to expect that of other people as well that they do business with. And so uh, those uh, those kind of orientations, I think, can, uh, uh, y- you know, uh, direct us in any kind of job that we do. So, and I was, I was, wanted to say one thing about, uh, you know, when you decide what you want to do instead of what you thought you were going to do. You know, you're having this big job switch, and then suddenly you realize, okay, I well, what happened to me was I wanted to uh, work in an office. I, I didn't want to work in a, in a school anymore. I wanted to try out working in an office. And um, so what happens when you – and I wanted to organize things. I wanted to organize art events. And uh, I just ran into somebody yesterday who rem- remembered me from my first actual arts administrative job. I organized – a weekend-long seminar for artists from the, for the Boston Visual Artists Union. She worked for the Boston Visual Artists Union. I was came in as a consultant to to make this program. Are you ready to market your work? So you know, I I didn't know how to market my work either. I was a painter, but I figured this would be great. I could learn this, and then I could go under the guise of organizing this for the Boston Visual Artists Union and find all of these like gal- big the biggest gallery owners and critics and artists like big name artists. How did they do it? And we had a panel, and I made a ca- I, I did we did a whole catalog. We actually printed something. Are you ready to market your work? About this, so I had to write it and edit it transcribe everything. I was like, I really learned a lot from that. And then from there, you know, after working at a small museum and things like that, I also worked at, I I ran the Art Directors Club for five years. And I did the same thing. I did these events about things that I wanted to know about, like portfolio preparation. I'll never forget it because Alex was working at Harvard and I was working for the Art Directors Club and I was organizing these workshops and evening programs to meet all these great designers and big names and everything. And we would have dinners and we would have events and I would organize them. And, and, and we had this one event about uh, portfolio preparation because I wanted to help Alex and 
port, you know, do well. Both of us, really. I had a, a portfolio too, but then his was a medical illustration portfolio by then, and I thought, how do we do this? How are we going to get out there? How are we going to do it? And I learned so much from doing that, and here I was getting paid. So, but before I was paid, and I think this is a good good thing to mention to especially young people. But I had already gotten my master's degree. I wasn't just you know very young. I was you know twenty three years old, I think, when I went to volunteer at the um, a small art museum outside of Boston, the Brockton Art Museum. And, uh, you know, I had actually shown my work in their biennial and something, and I just thought, you know... Anyway, I got this internship doing really amazing... Like, they, they hand interns such incredible, responsible work sometimes. And I, I took a group of 80 people on two buses to New York, because this was in Brockton. So we, members were allowed to buy tickets to the King Tut exhibit. And Alex and I got to go, and we had to, I had to bring speakers to, you know, introduce what we were going to see. And we had to, you know, it was like it, it, do a brunch. We did a cocktail party. We had to stay at the St. Moritz. I mean, it was, I, I like learned so much, and I wasn't getting paid a cent. I was doing this as an intern. So sometimes when you go to intern, you can insist on, you know, I want something really, you know, d d dynamic. I want to do something really important, an important project. And you can do it for free. And you can do that at Cosm, by the way. We have lots of people doing that at Cosm. We have people, you know, artists particularly coming in and getting a place to stay and, you know, and, and they can work for a few weeks and leave us some broken plate mosaic down our little walkway or something, you know. So it's, you know, it's fun for everybody. So it, we're, we're, we're not really bartering, but it may be in a way. It's it's uh, we're we're working symbiotically, you know, what works for for everyone and benefits all, um, and that was kind of became our motto at Cosm, or for Alex and I, basically for how we make decisions, because it's always important to know how to make decisions, and there's a couple ways of making decisions, uh, business or non-business. One is what looks most like your eternal self. That's a good one to ask about your career. What looks most like your eternal self. If you're picking out between two dresses, you can say what looks most like your eternal self. Oh, I like this one, but this one looks more like my eternal self. And uh, decide that way, either for or against. But the other thing, the other question uh, that you can answer is what benefits whatever the bottom or top line is. Both, really, hopefully. That's basically it. What is the benefit this will uh, bring this or not bring, you know. So that's that's the whole thing. And you, you go to the top line. Will it bring bring benefit to uh, the people it touches? You know, will it bring benefit to me? If both are yes, it could be a good a good fit. So anyway, do you have any more notes? Because I have probably have a million things I was going to say and forgot. But I thought we could open it up to the, to questions, and people could because now it's uh, three o'clock. And we have another maybe 20 minutes or so. And uh, would you, would anybody, yes, you go. Um, uh, she said, you've said a little bit about uh, that business is a risk, uh, but how do you deal with the fear that uh, of failure uh, that comes when you dare take a risk and things like that? And that I think that's typically what would shut normal people down is that, oh, I could never do that because, I mean, look at what might happen if you, and good, goodness gracious, you know. Um, of course, 
you know, you can walk outside in a in an art car can r- mow you down. And how? You know, to some people. And and Carefully. oh golly, all those risks I was going to take in business now suddenly seem pale next to my mangled flesh. And so, life is a risk. It's all impermanent. You might wake up dead tomorrow. So if you're if you're going to do something, you best do it, you know, and and because, uh, good gods, it's 2012. There's yeah. always two. <laughs> there's always a fork in the road. Should I take this risk or should I go down another path? And when you when you say when you make that decision that you're going to go toward risk, just keep going. Put one foot in front of the other and keep finding ways to make it happen. We were, have been told. Uh, at the most important times in our life, not to do what we were about to do. When we were about to do Cosm in the City, no names mentioned here, but when we were about to do Cosm in the City, uh, a fellow was, had a building, had Spirit New York Club on the first floor. He wanted to basically give us the fourth floor for two years rent-free, and then we would pay for the next three years we would pay. And, uh, but he would give us that time because he knew we were artists to build the space, make it beautiful, whatever. We invested all that we had, all that we had. Now, that's a risk. You take no cushion left, and you got 12 employees. People, somebody's got to sit at the desk. Somebody's got to answer the phone. Somebody's got to, you know. So you have, uh, you know, you, you, you spend it all. But you keep looking for ways. You don't go back. You keep looking for ways. You say, Okay, so we're low on funds. Now, what can we do right now to make some money? What can we do right now to make some money? What can we do? So, you know, and, and not, not just any money, but something good, something fun, something that you enjoy doing. You know? So you have to really think. It's very creative. It's, no, it's not for sissies. You know? and, and, and I think that really comes out of the psychedelic thing, too. I mean, we as a community have an incredible opportunity to be successful. For numerous reasons, look around. This is a growing market. This is a gr- people had to, they were sold out six months in advance. Okay, this is a growing group of people that love what we love. It is an incredible, and not only that, but the psychedelic thing. We have been risk takers. We are risk takers. I don't recommend that kind of risk, believe me, and I wouldn't want to be quoted as, as, as recommending it. But really, we trust our friends, we trust our good judgment, we trust our mental state, we trust our set and setting that we have chosen carefully, if we're smart, you know, and we keep advising each other like family. And we are always there for each other like family. If I need, if I need advice, I need so much coaching, and Alex needs so much coaching all the time when it comes to business. You know, when it comes to our instincts about our art, we, we coach each other. But when it comes to business, we need lots of uh, input. Yeah. But, I'll, uh, but I will say, if, if there is a large uh, risk that you are uh, considering taking, uh, and, and it's a fearsome one, of course there's a few things about that. Number one, sometimes the most fearsome things or that we react to like that are the things that, oh, my God, I know I have to do this, you know, but it's, it's really scaring me. So sometimes there's that, but sometimes there's Stupidville, you know, like don't go to Stupidville. Don't go to Stupidville. 
You That's know, one of our like, favorite sayings. Hey, maybe I can just spend all my money and then it'll be a wild success immediately. You know, uh, no. Don't go to Stupidville. So that's... uh, But you can't always know, you know, the way things are going to turn out. And I am just telling you that if you really want something big to happen in your life, you have to make promises that you don't know how you're going to keep, and you have to keep them. That's all. That's all it takes. You make some promise, and you're not sure how you're going to keep it, and then you keep it. And you go down that, that fork in the road, and you keep choosing... That direction. Okay, so that's not going to work. What else can we do? I'll go to another bank. You know, you don't give up because that is the end of it. And then you have to start over. And people do that too. And sometimes you can make that work because you've been going down like, you know, I was going down the path of academia. And, you know, and I, I knew I had to take a screeching, you know, hairpin turn. You know, maybe it was only a 90 degree turn, really. But. Yeah. And so. For when when we were about to uh, you know make this big purchase uh, that would put everything at risk uh, for us, um, practically everybody thought it was a bad idea. Uh, if some yeah, of the, oh, that's some what of I was going to tell you. We were told by two two very close friends, "Don't do this. Don't trust this guy. You know, no. this guy wants to give you the whatever, and don't do." But oh, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, that's that's fine. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. He didn't have an alternative, though. But that's he said, right. Just don't trust him. Don't do it. Uh, well, what oh, should well, we do? Well, you, uh, uh, do you have an alternative to opening up in uh, the heart of the art world? Uh, you know. Do you want to offer us a space? Did, maybe. Would you, would you like to give us a million dollars uh, or something like that? And so, no, there was no alternative. So we took this, and it was it was wonderful. It was great. We invested everything. We risked everything. It was scary. But uh, then we but looked then around and said, it, "How can we make people, some money?" People came back. It was it was the the next big risk that we were about to take that was even uh, more risky, which was buying the property upstate. And uh, so at that point. Uh, there was a lot of soul searching, and virtually everybody said, "No, please don't." You know, this is a bad idea and whatnot. And uh, so, we had to be really convinced about it. And I actually, I what happened was I pleaded with the angels, you know, that uh, were uh, directing us to do this. And we had an altar. And we, and, we, and we did austerities. We stopped using substances and, and, and eating raw for almost two years and, and, like, meditating and doing yoga every day. And that was part of our austerities towards getting this property because everybody was telling us it was impossible. Our real estate lawyer said she was such a love and such a good friend, and she said, look, I really think we ought to – I can help you find another place. I can help you. And, and Alex is really good at – really good at – not well not not stopping and always seeing that there's a there's more possibility ahead he's very good at like no i'm not giving up yet he said jean i really think we have done all we could do she just about tore her hair out we would, like it took us 18 months to get it and we had to raise money and you know so anyway but it's continually looking for in the direction that you're going and not over there where you and might might have gone, you know, but keep going in that direction. What, can, what more can we do? Well, you get continually asking the angels and the 
whatever higher self or or uh, spiritual guides or whatever. You keep asking them, "Are you sure? Is this is this really what you want?" And don't ask them just once. You know, you know. You said the other day, uh, you know. But I mean, what about California? <laughs> and then throw you the know? itching and Why the pull not? room. You know? and, then- and it's no. This is it. This is it. Do it. Get it. Whatever you have to do, this is it. Get it. And so I was I was only ever that certain as to when I found Allison that this is it. You know? And uh when and when the spirits said this is it, you know, that was like, Okay, we have to do everything we can then. That's right. And it doesn't you gotta mean get that certainty about what your commitment to it. If you're not if you're not going to be the stand for whatever the fuck it is you're going to do that's going to change the world, nobody else is going to do it. You know, you've got to be the stand. And so uh, so if you get confirmation for, at the highest levels that this is what they want of you and you have opened yourself up to service uh, uh, to that vision, then... You do whatever you can to so do we're, it. So we are a growing community. I wanted to just go there again for one second, then I'm going to take your question. We are such a growing community that we have an impact already, and we know that we do. So just continue to be aware of that because our, it's not stopping. It's growing bigger, and we are going to be and are an influence on how things go in this world, how things go in business, politics, all things, all the way things are run. And so this is a tremendous, being here is an incredible privilege and uh, a model, good and bad. Good things happen and bad things happen here, but it's a model that we test and that we try things and we do business in a different way this year than we did it before, didn't we? We all know that. So anyway, you try things. Who knows? It's, it's, it's Burning Man's business. Our business, we do it our way. And you know, you figure it out as you go along. The more business you do. See, the thing that's different about, you know, uh, an artist that's in business or just an artist is, is an artist that's in business is successful. That's the only difference. Once you get people who want your art, you have a business, like it or not. You, you don't like it, you're just going to be unhappy, and maybe you'll lose your business being unhappy. But in any case, it's, it's only a difference of whether you're successful. So, the, so when you are successful, you will have a business, and you want to operate it with honor and, 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 with your, and in your community and share it with your community. So now somebody else had a question. Does everybody get that? She was making uh, the, Everybody here? All right. Good. Restate it. Do you want to restate it? Well, how, how is it different when you make decisions? What is it again? You make decisions from a, from a place of, uh, well, of like loving to, angels like tuning and tuning angels. into your angel. I call it, I and then practical, like, like the, the, the high an- revenue-producing activities. Yeah, yeah, market research kind of uh, stuff. I, you know, it may not be the best way, but we kind of go a lot according to um, – for business decisions, we kind of get intuitive flashes, you know, like, hey, what about this? What if we made a grail, you know? We're just awesome. playing, you, you know? know? And, and it's, it's like, like you or what, fun. If, what if, you know, do you think, uh, uh, what if we did one of these or something? And, and so we kind of just invent stuff that 
uh, that we want to create. Or we let other and, people invent stuff. You know, if we benefits our business and they can invent stuff, which, by the way, everybody, that's all what goes on there. You know, uh, Cosm has a – we have an incredible apiary. People are, are doing this. They're, the bees are at Cosm. We have eight very above average hives. Very above average. And, uh, you know, we sold our first 81 bottles of honey. Do you think honey can build a temple? Maybe. We're working on that. You know, we're going in that direction. And lip balm and all that nice, and candles. So we call it the third force, basically, you know, and that uh, there's a kind of a higher bridge consciousness that works, I think, through uh, people. It, It is an energy field, I think, uh, that, uh, it, it's probably drawing in something else as well, but at least it's the the uh, a dialectic that leads to uh, something something new. And of course, I think that that's the way. Then it really is with the uh, communities as well. You know, but the larger the community, the more of that a kind of uh, force can be brought uh, together. And if it can be done coherently, then magical things can be done. Like look at this. I know. Now, Annie, Annie. Annie Oak over there has a question, but I want to just say thank you to Annie Oak for inviting us to do this talk because it's really through Annie that all this happened. She has been such a dear friend, and I just love what she's doing so much. The Women's Visionary Congress means so much to everyone. We're so glad that you that you founded that. So what was your question? I'm sorry. Yes, we, we have a non-profit. We, well, we had a non-profit business that became a church. So... It's not a commune. It's not a collective. It's not a shareholding partnership with plays. No, it's a business. And so we, because the highest purpose is 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 our mission, which is you know always at the at the peak. So any every employee, everything that happens there, whether people are hired, fired, you know, whatever, laid off, are it, it, it has to be because of this this business. But how do we do it? We let them have a lot of say in what goes on. We don't try Alex and I are trying to get out of management and into into um, development. It's really what we're doing. We're developing the you know the cosm and uh and so other people have to manage it and they do wonderfully they're amazing we have different departments we have department heads we have managers just a few you know and and as you go along and you grow you have to come up with new policies you know how many days off how many i never thought i wanted to do that like just be here because you want to be here and then when you need time off, you've got to go to a wedding, whatever, just go. But in the end, you end up having to say how many days a year. Because, well, i got to go for a month here and a month there. Well, you know, you can't have it run a business like that. So we have to say I love you very much and come and volunteer sometimes and be part of our community. But you can't be on staff. So there's, you know, when volunteers, you know, there's a whole, we have to have somebody to manage the volunteers because they are there to do karma yoga and what they're doing is spiritual and what they what they are offering is from the heart and so they need to be treated with incredible respect and also expectations you know you're getting free room and board here and you're here you have to you know put in so somebody's got to be the manager of things and we have different managers for different things and they just rise to the top they just emerge don't they 
Yes, but I think that it's a continual challenge uh, and to really uh, create an environment that is uh, felt to be uplifting and uh, soul-nurturing for the people that are doing the work there and that they feel like their work is honored and is purposeful uh, as a... And I think that this happens a lot of it in in meetings, you know. We have uh, staff meetings, and we basically uh, rededicate ourselves to the task that we're doing. And uh, by sharing whatever difficulties are coming up and stuff that needs to be addressed in an open forum... Um, it's been fairly successful so far, uh, and we have. A, I think that we have a lot to learn. We're kind of a hybrid system. I think we're adapting and evolving uh, to the pressures of of our new uh, body, basically, and uh, that is this property. And so, uh, that and there are people. Uh, even in the staff, because the staff is a whole spectrum of people. Now, the builders require muscle and 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 brains and and are a particular vibe and like to listen to tool music and really, you know, get amped up and stuff. And then there are some people who are a little more delicate in hospitality and they they're a little more refined and that makes them a little jittery. All that noise and everything. So. But Here's the but, but line. all of them are the all, all of them are serving the top line, which is the building of the vision of Cosm. And and when everybody's dedicated to the same goal, it's like Allison said, if we all get along, uh, we can create something beautiful together. That so. was it. That was what I was going to say. The voice says that we have to get along to make something beautiful together. So when you have drama in the workplace, people not getting along. It's impa- it impairs your progress. You're trying to get from here to there. You know where you want to be in many, many ways. But you can't get there if we're not getting along. People will keep information from each other or people won't talk to each other. People who can't, you know, you know people who are in the fundraising area that can't work with the media area. That just doesn't work. You cannot have it. And so, you know, you try and try and try and try and try, try and try. And uh, if you don't succeed at last then you have to get rid of somebody. Somebody's got to go because even though you love them and they all have skills, they're not getting along. So you have to separate people. (laughs) We have rules too, like no fighting anywhere near where anyone can hear you. Anywhere. If you're going to fight, if you want to yell and scream, whatever you want to do, we have lots of woods. Go out there and have your argument outside, not inside where it impacts others uh, and they're they're trying to have their day. Yes? Um... A lot of the psychedelic message is about um, dissolving boundaries and creating a union between many different people. Um, but yet, there's a lot of prejudice that people have against people that use psychedelics. So I'm wondering if you've ever encountered uh, people who are prejudiced against you uh, for the use of psychedelics and how you um, can uh, interact with that in a way that still moves towards greater unity. Do you think we have anybody that's, that's a prejudice against us? I, I think that uh, probably many people who've, uh, exper- who've had the psychedelic experience and then share it with 
people and then think, uh-oh, those are some of the people maybe I shouldn't have shared that with. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and maybe even a lot of judgments coming down from whatever quarters uh, can happen. And uh, there are scientists who are deathly scared of the uh, kind of uh, misperception of uh, psychedelic research and things as well. It's an area that's such a, a powder keg of emotional uh, kind of... It's an emotional minefield, granted. Uh, I All I can think of is, what do you think was going on in the Christian church uh, like 60 years after, or 70 years after Jesus died? You know, they were they were demonized. They were thrown to the lions. They were uh, a lot of um, real incredible martyrdom actually <laughs> happened, and it's still happening. Of course, this war on drugs, as Annie is saying, is crippling people's lives. is is hurting people. It's a war on the people, not a war on drugs. And uh, well, I just want to so, add that we do modify our openness. Uh, we know when to hold them. We do not just, ex- you know, spurt out the word psychedelic and everything that we do. Because, first of all, we we are already we're in conflict with our town over whether we're a church. We were, you know, approved as a church by the state attorney general and the IRS, and we have church status. We, you know, we have the papers to prove it, but our town still is billing us for real estate tax. So we had to be in court with them over that. And so we don't post a lot of stuff about psychedelics and, and uh, on our site. And I think that people uh, who know, know. We're still an underground community. We have to, you know, we have to look at the bigger picture, the mission to build a chapel. That's what we really want to do. And we want to do that with our town. We want them to give us the permits that it takes because they could stop this thing. And right now we're building Entheon. It's almost like a big, big practice round because it's going to be $1.5 million, but the chapel's going to be 3 to $5 million. So it's a pr- big, big practice round for us. And our town is working with us beautifully. They love what we're doing. They really, really want us to bring this incredible culture to the town, and uh, we already are. We're like very, cl- we're, we're an art community, so we're they're, they're loving what we're doing, and it works. But you do know have to know, you know, when to uh, not be. I don't know, like expounding that stuff. This is yeah. a place we can talk about it. Openly. And we do talk about it openly within all programs at COSM, within our programs in the family, whether we, there's people there or not. We are allowed to talk about it. That's not against the law. Nobody can you know, stop us from discussing our opening by psychedelics. And Alex and I have talked about it for decades. So, but we don't uh, allow it to be uh, used on campus, at least to our knowledge, and so uh, everybody keep it under wraps, and you know, and don't you know, it it works. It's working out for right now. We're doing the we're we're doing the best we can, you know, to keep to keep it going so we can build the temple. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, of course, there's a I think a in difference in intention, and intention is really important in how you're going to approach the psychedelic experience. Um, I do think, however, that. Uh, you know, uh, really, uh, really incredibly upsetting things can happen within ceremony 
and really incredibly uh, spiritually opening things can happen uh, in under the recreational. See, I, I really object to so the term the, recreational. So the, I, I think, but what I I do want to uh, acknowledge is that I think that the the highest purpose of of entheogens or psychedelics uh, is to be used in a in a spiritual set and setting to enhance the infinite love uh, at the basis. You know that we can get at that. You know, without so many distractions or things like that. And that's why it's important to be wise about how you do it. And in a in a spiritual ceremony that feels really uh, that you feel really uh, positive about, that it can be the most uh, important kind of utopian opening. And I, I certainly. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that about recreation, I don't really disagree with the, the concept and difference between recreational and, and spiritual intentions. Because like Alex said, it's intention. It's like in, your intention. Is your intention spiritual? Is your intention higher consciousness? Or is your intention to, uh, you know, get laid? Okay? So there, there it is. And, uh, but, but then again, saying recreational... It, it maligns people who may be feeling that their their use is uh, celebratory and ecstatic dance and ecstatic movement and ecstatic thought and ecstatic community interaction. So just because they're dancing at a party called party, which is why we don't call anything that we do at Cosmo a party. We don't call it a party. We have a, and we have uh, DJs and fire spinning, and we have uh, you know uh, live music and and uh, guitar playing and all kinds of, of bonfire. And it's a celebration because if you take it as an intention that it is a celebration of your ecstatic energy, and you do it in a sp- sacred context, we always try to start and end with a prayer, or we howl at the moon at the full moon tonight. Our folks over there at Cosm are howling at the moon, and we're just going to catch it, catch the wave. We'll send it back over to them. Yeah. God forbid. God forbid. And, of course, we have, we have, no, we, 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 we address these things. Believe me, we have an, an estate uh, attorney, and we have to write down our wishes. And we have all the paintings are in a trust that Alex and I uh, are the, you know, well, Alex, I think, but maybe it's the both of us. Yeah, I have this. Yeah, no, the two of us have a, a trust. And uh, and you're, what you're saying is you feel that because your family has a restaurant, if anyone should go, there's other wings that can hold it up, right? Where And Alex and I just have each other, but we don't. It isn't like that at all. And we tell the people that we that work there that this is a church. This is not just a business this is a church and churches go on without you know with clergy changes and staff changes and people change and you know so the people that are there that are trusted and we have one person who's been with us for 11 years and another one for eight years and another one for you know several of them for five six years so anyway they it will be their business and i've seen it happen to other businesses too like omega institute in in rhinebeck new york was founded by a couple the couple divorced but they have a board, you know, they have a board of directors and the board continued and eventually the both founders are not on the board anymore and it's run by someone who started there as probably in building and maintenance. I mean, he knows how to run the place and he's built this incredible living machine where they are in a bubble, they have all the gray water and black water and everything is recycled, everything. They're like 
everything. They sell the electricity back to the town. They they have done, and that's what this one guy's done, and he started there in maintenance. So what I'm saying is what our business is will belong to our community, and that's what will happen. We did have a terrible accident a couple of years ago, and, of course, we were out of commission for a little while. Hardly noticed, you know. We have people there that, that are just so trusted that we can come to Burning Man and be out of touch with them for a week, and things just keep running and run smoothly. So that's our intention. We haven't had a business as long as your family has had a business. So obviously we're not as experienced, but we're working on it. I mean, we have a future, you know. Yes, somebody else has a question. Well, the the love is the foundation of everything we do. You know, if we hadn't found each other, there wouldn't be a family to have a business with, you know. So it's foundational uh, for us. And I can see that... Uh, for you guys, it's it's like the same way, you know, that uh, the idea of a family business, you know, that uh, what does family mean, you know, and can you get along? Uh, some families can't get along, you know, uh, but the uh, – and most families will have, you know, like uh, ripples and highs and lows and things like that. But the uh, idea of wanting to put uh, the love into something as a family – is an extraordinary uh, business decision and something that requires growth on the part of all the members of the family as well. It can't be run in a dictatorial fashion, really. It ha it has to be. Uh, yeah, but there's got to be somebody in charge through, too. Yeah, it's not exactly. unless it's a commune. Yeah. or some kind of cooperative. Yeah. Anyway, somebody else so had a question. Yeah. Let's let's move on. Yes. Thank you for asking, and I think that it's a it's a beautiful dream that uh, many would like to enact, and it's and it's not happening, and it's a uh, you know in the future we hope that the laws will change so that the uh, possibility um, will be there, but we want to build the place uh, first because we think that that's what we can offer. That's our highest offering. Other people are actually changing the laws. Uh, and our good friend Jeffrey Bronfman runs an ayahuasca church in a very uh, sort of like uh, below the radar uh, kind of way, but it's all legal. You know, and he's got several different chapters all over the United States. And they're growing. So, uh, psychedelic churches are happening. And they're happening legally. And this is a future that is a possibility, but it's not something we're doing now. It's and not our mission. And it's not our mission right now. Our mission is to build a temple to inspire a global community. And uh, do you want to do the more full full rendition? But that's basically it. It's to build a temple to, to inspire a global community. Why? Why? Two, two things come up. One is the personal reasons are that, you know, as artists, we felt that our greatest contribution could be in creating some architecture of beauty that would be uh, uh, an offering to our community. That would be like a large work of art, like Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. That's kind of what where it came from in 1984 when we had that experience. It's like, we want to build sacred space that will last for a thousand years so that people could come and see art, beautiful, visionary, you know, have have an impactful visionary experience there, like a like an in environment in which uh uh um, epiphanies and and, cha and transformation could be you know kind of cultivated, and uh, and it it really wasn't 
it became, we realized later that we had to have community because it wasn't like in our heads, oh, yeah, we have to, but we were told you have to make a lot more friends. Somebody told us this, a fundraising specialist that we was coaching us. You know, you're going to have a chapel, but you've got to make a lot more friends. And that's something in business that I'll just you know throw in there. It's all about friends. Don't forget that it's all about friends and it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy this. You know, this is supposed to be your fun, so make it your fun. Like when I was working for the Art Directors Club, we would have events and people would get together and they were all about art directing and, you know, photography and illustration. They would have other people that they could join with and be with. Well, anyway, it's like that. Whatever community you're in, if you're in the restaurant business, there are trade shows and there are people that are un- have other restaurants or there are people that serve restaurants that become your friends. It's all about friends. And the more friends you make, the better your business is going to be. And then the way to grow your business, this is really seed work, is to inspire other people about your intention. Whatever it is that you're making out here, and you haven't gotten there yet. You have to share it with other people in a way that inspires them. If you share it with other people and you find that it bores them, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I'm looking around, I'm not listening. Then you gotta, that is a really great advice to you. They are your coach, they are your guru. You need to hone your elevator speech or your ability to deliver that message powerfully. If you hand somebody a flyer and then you see them on the ground, you know that it's not beautiful enough. It's not something that's not impactful enough, or they would have kept it. So you have to, don't just give people things that they're going to throw on the ground. Do your best work. You can't make a business without doing your best work. You can't make a successful business without doing your best work. You know, we're always falling short. I know that. But we're working towards that. We're working towards our best work, and we never give up. It's, it's just, it's really how to be great at anything. Do your best be yourself. What is yourself? And, you know, who is authentically you? What is authentic? Is, are you doing work that's authentic to you? Is it your eternal self? Do your best. Is this your best? Oh, that lettering is a little falling off the edge there. I should have pushed it over. God, I have to do it all over again? Yes. Yes. Your best work. Never give up. Those three steps, that's it. Be yourself, do your best, never give up. You'll be great at anything. And if you just follow that, you'll be great sometime. Maybe you'll be Judy Dench and you won't even like get famous until you're older. But who cares? You know, Matisse didn't even start painting until he was 40. Yeah? The body tends to heal. That's my saying about that. The body tends to heal. So if you're not healing, like look at the emotional component. What is holding you back from healing? Sometimes it, it helps. Sometimes that helps you to heal, to, to just look at that. Sometimes it doesn't, but you do your best, you know. But the body d- did tend to heal and stronger than before. See, bones, bone breaks heal stronger than before. There's no reason to be continually in pain. Anyway, who else? Anyone? Creativity is, you know, you, you have to make an object. It's, it's art is, and, and music is like that too. There has to be evidence if you're really making art. There's evidence. There's something that you're making, okay? In the material world, in the real world, it's, it's the illusion, the maya, is time and space. You have to acknowledge time and space. Time, when am I making my art? When am I supposed to make my art? If I go, well, I'm going to make art now, but I don't know when. 
you're not likely to make it. You probably put it off or, you know, you won't do much of it. Okay, time. So you make yourself an appointment where you're going to do it. And you're going to sit at that desk or at that place. Now, I didn't talk about desk yet. Space. You need a space. If you don't have a space to do your art and it's on your kitchen table and you have to clean it up every time you work on it, you're less likely to do it. It's just like any other practice. If you want to do a yoga practice, but you're going to do it under your coffee table, you got to move it out of the way every morning, you're less likely to do it than if you have a yoga loft with a little altar there waiting for you and all your special power objects are on it you know do it in front of uh, do it in a special place anyway that's the way uh art is as a spiritual practice we talk about art as a spiritual practice and so you get your appointment so i'm going to make art on tuesday and thursday nights that's all the time i have right now but i'm going to give myself three hours on tuesday three hours on thursday whatever, or morning. I'm going to get up twice a week early, and I'm going to, instead of run, I'm going to make art. Or I'm going to run. Whatever practice you want to do, you've got to have a time, and then you make a space for it. Carve out a table, something in the corner of your room, or in your dining room, or anywhere where you like to be, where it's fun to be. And then keep that appointment. Keep that appointment. If you're a writer, same thing. Make an appointment with your computer and your desk and close the door and you turn off your phone and you're there and you have your time and you have your space and you're going to be there for two or three hours. Do you think you're going to get anything done? I have an appointment to do this and I'm going to do it. I have two or three hours and nothing to do. I'm going to sit there and look at the paper. Something's going to come up. Something's going to come up. Meditate. You see, meditation is all about focusing your mind. And you, that, that may be the first thing you have to do when you go to your appointment, your time, and your space. You've got to have that meditation. Where you, The other thing to do if you're an artist, even or a musician, is to take out your work and look at past work. If you want to jumpstart, you, you, know, you haven't been doing art for a while, you haven't been making music for a while, listen to some music that you made before. Look at some art that you liked and you saved. And that's the way to start your first session and you won't have block anymore the other thing to do is do a self-portrait uh do a self-portrait uh and you know set yourself the time and the space and uh and look face yourself and your block and uh write i am blocked i am i am feeling so blocked and geez this is it's like it's like huge and whatever it is you know that that you're having have it on the paper be wherever you are with the feeling of stuckness but get it onto the paper and so when you can <clears throat> you're you're basically uh trying to download your subjective state into an object and by Making your subjective state of blockage into an object, then you have uh, gotten the monster out of the box of your head, and now you can look at it, and suddenly you're different now looking at this subjective state from a witness point of view. You have the. Uh, uh, this is how we transform. Uh, our new subjective state you know is uh at observation of our previous subjective state when you can observe it and kind of analyze it that's different than being in it 
so that you're on your way to uh, to healing in in that way. Just continue to do it. If you know, it's it can be grueling in a way, but it could also be really fun. And you could find some spark that is going to say, "Oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted to do." But it just requires digging, and it also requires some a little bit of the soul uh, forgiveness. You know, it's like. Oh, I, I didn't do it for so long, or I didn't, you know, like do this. Or your creative spirit may be wrathful, and it may say, fuck you, the last time you were over here, you, f- you frittered it away, you asshole. You know, you should have really been sticking with it, but you didn't. So you have to come up with your own things that, you know, you come up to yourself. Like you didn't, maybe you didn't. Uh, fulfill something there so you forgive yourself and you forgive uh, the, the, uh, all has to be forgiven and gone through and uh, and those fears uh, dissolved in order for your creative uh, uh, block to go away and that creative flow to continue to establish because that is exactly it it is you can't be anything other than creative you know you just have to take the uh, stave out of the wheels you know, whatever is kind of this block, you know, you can you can extract it. You can even make it up what it is and have a ritual of extraction before. I, you know, we've gone way over, but I wanted to, and, and they said that they didn't mind because we are the last talk. So and they don't mind if we stay and I don't mind if we stay and do more questions. I noticed that there are a bunch of people that have left already, but I didn't want to just I wanted to do a little announcement right now that we are going to be talking at Fractal Nation tonight between seven and nine about why visionary art matters. And if you are a visionary artist or you love visionary art, it'd be fun to see you over there at Fractal Nation on the other side of the playa at uh, uh, I think it's like 2G two or something G. like that. 2 yeah. and G. So, but anyway, and also the other thing that Alex, well, I've had a blog for some time called Ask Allison, but Alex always tags in and we enjoy answering the questions together as the third force. Much more, you know, interesting for us when we, because we, I always end up reading to, and Alex has such great advice. So we decided to change the Ask Allison blog to, I think it could be the third f- force uh, oracle. The Third Force Oracle. Maybe we'll call it Third Force Oracle. We're going to call it Cosm Oracle, but it's really the Third Force Oracle because it comes from Alex and I and our own. So any questions that you might have about anything that you think we might be interested in, all the subjects that we love, and mostly it's you know it includes business, it includes relationships, it includes spirituality, psychedelics, parenting, uh, eating disorders, uh, getting a job, career. We love those kind of topics. And any kind of uh, psychedelic emergency, we've talked to people about things like that. So all those kinds of questions, if you find, if you think your question might benefit others, if you just want to ask us, you can ask at allison at cosm.org. If you just want to private, you know, ask and you want to say, you know, I just wonder what you, just give me your impression of this. Uh, Allison at Cosm.org will get both of us, actually. It's A-L-L-Y-S-O-N, two L's and a Y, S-O-N at Cosm.org. And, um, but if you'd like to uh, share it with the community, if you think it might be an interesting answer or we decide it is, we can share it. And um, if you are an artist and you're sharing your artwork and you say, like, how do I, you know, get a poster made? Or how do I, how much, do, do you think it's worthwhile to get a poster made? Or, or any of those kinds of more specific, what materials do you use? Simple, technical questions, anything like that. Um, we will, you send us a picture on your Facebook page and we'll post it. So 
you can get it on our blog and get a little ad- advertising from all the people that come to our blog and they'll see your art. So, so or if it's an MP3 and I can embed it, I would put it in if it's your music. So anyway, it'd be fun to hear from you. And uh, that's what churches do. I mean, anything, that's what they do. Anything that's good and has to do with love and positivity, they could, we can do it, you know. So anyway, that's one of the things. Anyway, you want to, let's go applaud. Yeah. Thank then- you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison and Alex, for being here. And now I have, I'm going to hand the mic over to Bruce Damer to just make a closing remark. Thank you, Alex and Allison and everybody for making this happen. And uh, out there in cyberspace is Lorenzo. And uh, just a little tiny bit of history, which is interesting for me. In 2003, Lorenzo started Palenque Norte with me kind of in the background as one of the first speakers, and we were all speakers. And did you know that that was the first speaker series at Burning Man? And look at what's happened. We started that. Our community started that here. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And I would also like to thank everyone involved in uh, this past year's Plenty Norte Talks. Uh, thank you for keeping them alive and well. And uh, as I said earlier, there are still a few more talks from this series that I have yet to podcast, but they'll be reaching you before too long. Also, I've been in touch with Pez and Tom about their ongoing plans for Plenty Norte, and soon I'll be able to pass along more of what they're planning. Uh, including a completely new Palenque Norte website. So, uh, as they say in Radioland, stay tuned. Now, getting back to today's talk, when I first began listening with you to it, I, well, I really didn't know what to expect. But now that I've heard it for a second time, it's really clear to me that what Allison and Alex have provided for us here is uh, more or less a blueprint for creating our own psychedelic communities, whether uh, physically nearby or online. You know, uh, at one point way back in my past, I was a motivational speaker. In fact, I uh, actually remember the book that Allison mentioned uh, in her talk today. But uh, I'm here to tell you that this little talk by Alex and Allison is as good a motivational and inspirational talk as I've heard. You know, there really is a lot here that deserves a second and a third listen. And, of course, even more important than re-listening to their words of wisdom is to actually put those ideas into practice in your own life. By following the practical suggestions of Alex and Allison, I think that, uh, well, you can actually begin a new life today, you know, right now. And why not think of the worldwide psychedelic community as your own and then go out and find the others who are maybe in positions to support your work in some way. You know, uh, simply by deciding what you're going to do, you actually have begun because making that decision is always step one. And also, uh, if you're going to change your life and uh, become the artist that you know is deep inside you, well, I think it would be wise to keep in mind you have one unique life. And what do you love to do? What do you want to spend your life doing? And that, of course, brings to mind Joseph Campbell's famous advice about following your own bliss. But as uh, Allison just pointed out so clearly, 
bliss is great, but uh, hey, we also have to eat and uh, have places to sleep and, uh, well, other things that require some hard cash. However, as she also points out, from a simply marketing point of view, well, the worldwide psychedelic community, uh, what I've been calling the tribe, is probably as large a market as any artist, uh, writer, musician, or other creative person could want. And so I think it would be wise to uh, keep this little voice in the back of your head at all times, and then you'll never feel hopeless. This is a growing group of people that love what we love. It is an incredible, and not only that, but the psychedelic thing, we have been risk takers. We are risk takers. We trust our friends. We trust our good judgment. We trust our mental state. We trust our set and setting that we have chosen carefully, if we're smart, you know. And we keep advising each other like family. And we are always there for each other like family. And for now, dear family, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. 